verses 7 through 11. And if you want to follow along in a pew Bible, uh, there should be one near you, and that will be on page 1021 on 1021. When I first moved to Texas back a long time ago, 17-some years ago, a friend of mine handed me this big uh, novel. Uh, it was a Western novel. And he said to me, this is a great read. As you read this book, you will smell and taste the dust of old Texas and the wordsmithing that the author makes. Well, today's passage reminds me of the dust, of the sweat, of the bread, and the wine of the upper room on Jesus' last evening before He was crucified. That evening emanates out of the text here. Even the whole letter, the sights, the smells, uh, the tension, the words, the expectations, the actions all emanate out of this letter. I mean, it's just amazing. There in that upper room after Judas left, Jesus said these words to them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. With that, uh, that, that, that event, that, that place, that time, all the, the things that come out of that, with all that in, in mind, let's read today's passage from 1 John 2, 7-11, through 11, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Beginning at verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, um, we, as I prayed in the, the prayers for our church, we are needy church. We are needy people. We are in need of your grace and mercy. We are in need to know your word. And I pray that you would make this word to us real today. Penetrate it deep in our hearts. Use it to encourage us to love one another, to obey your commands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So once again, this letter from John is centered on assurance. That's what we're talking about overall in this letter, assurance. How does one know that they're a Christian? Uh, this letter um, and most New Testament letters are a response uh, typically to false teaching and downright deception that had been going on at the church at that time. Uh, that's the way most of them are. Uh, unfortunately, 
we continue to face similar issues in the church today concerning false teachers and deception, not to mention the culture's ever-present. And I think it's probably worse today than it's been just because of the media presence, because of the way society is. But the culture is always pressing in on the church, always influencing the church. We, we must be discerning. We must be sober-minded. We must be careful. And so Jesus said, He told us, didn't He? He says, false teachers are going to come. They're going to come. They're going to be there. And so they've continued to come year after year, century after century, false teachers have come. And so the question of what it is to be a Christian is still very crucial and critical in our day and time. Therefore, John's central marks for the professing Christian to evaluate their hearts and minds and lives and devotion to the Lord are as important for us today as they were when he first wrote this letter. It's still very important to us today. And so the marks of the Christian life John lays out before us are actually very simple. It's one of the things I find, you know, when we study theology, we can get into some deep, deep levels of things. We can get into some, some, uh, some upper level thinking, but, but the Christian life is so basic and simple. It's for all. It's for all. And so what John lays out for us is he says this, to, to, to understand if you're a Christian, you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Who is the Christ, the light, uh, the true light of the world? And you need to uh, know, you need to understand and obey God's commandments. So, so He's given us commandments. Remember what Jesus says? Make disciples of all the nations, commanding them to, be, to obey everything that I have told you. And so the idea then is as we know Jesus, as we follow Him, we will listen to what He says and we'll live in that way. And also He adds to this, we need to love. Love is the central aspect of carrying out those commands. They're why the commands are given. They, they help us to fill the commands. We'll talk about this in just a moment. But understand that. Love is central to all of that. So today, as we look at this, we'll see that love is especially central to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've already read, he is turning his emphasis to love uh, loving God by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we dive into this, we are going to see, first of all, an old reality, a new emphasis, and an ongoing significance of Christian love. An old reality, a new emphasis, and the ongoing significance of Christian love. So what is the old reality of Christian love? Look at verse 7 with me. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And as you read this, you go, what in the world is going on here? What in the world is he talking about? Is old, new, this, all this, what is this all about? Well, it is important to note that the commandment in view here is clearly, again, love for the brethren, as I've already pointed out. But the question is, is just how old is this commandment? What, what exactly does he mean? What, what is he trying to present to us? Well, if we're to think about how old this commandment is, it's actually very old. As a matter of fact, it's eternally old. 
John is often called the apostle of love. And so to begin with, I'm certain that as he preached, you know, some pastors have that uh, pet peeve thing that they preach on. I'd love to hear from you guys what you think my pet peeve is. It would be kind of interesting, but and feel free to share that with me anytime. But um, it's just not during the service, okay? So um, I'm sure for John, he leans on love a lot when you read his gospel, when you read his letters, he focuses on love. And he, and he, so I'm sure he talked about love over and over and over again. And so you could say, well, that's why he's saying this is not a new command, but an old commandment. But where did John get this? Well, I read it when we first started in the introduction. You remember John picked up this commandment from his master Jesus. So here he's taking us back to that upper room, those sights, those smells, that evening that is seared. I mean, I just believe it is seared upon his mind as he thinks about the glory of Christ. And in Jesus in that room, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So John would have us to remember that this commandment came from the Master, the Lord Jesus. And that we have come to understand this even as we begin to first follow Him. That He has called us to love. At some point, when we turn to Jesus, it hits us in the face. We're called to love. Jesus is different. This past week, I was sharing, uh, my, uh, uh, sharing uh, Christ with a young man. And I was sitting across from him and we were talking and he said, you know, God's the same. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, like a Christian or a Muslim and everything. I said, oh, no, 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 that's just not true. Read the Koran. Read the Bible. Islam means to submit. Allah is not a God of love. <laughs> Jesus as a God of love. So we got an opportunity to get into that and to go deep with that. And that's the thing here. Jesus is a, a, a God of love, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, as we hear those words from, from Jesus, we have to understand that love is central to all of the Scriptures. It didn't just come when Jesus came. You see about the love of God in the prophets and lamentations and that Jeremiah wrote, and here's what you hear. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We see the love of God in the Psalms. Um, the psalmist writes, Give thanks to the Lord of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Most of us know uh, the famous passages from the book of, first of all, Deuteronomy. Do you know Deuteronomy 6.4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You also may remember the famous passage out of Leviticus 19. In verse 18, the Lord says, You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Himself would later point out that love for God and for neighbor is the summary of the whole law. Do you see how in the law, love is the central element? It's the central element of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
But this is where it gets a little deeper, folks. Still, even further back than the prophets, than the psalmist, than Moses and the patriarchs, we must understand that love actually finds its origins in God Himself. John will later later say in his letter of 1 John in verse or in chapter 4, verse 7, he will say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because why? Because God is love. Surprise, right? Well, it's probably not really a surprise because we're all Christians. We've all been thinking about this. But yet at the same time, I think we need to give deeper attention to this more often. C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity helps us in pointing out that God can only be loved if He is triune. Listen to what he says. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, He was not love. Do you see the real and everyday practical issues here? The old command of God that John speaks of of here flows from God's triunity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in loving communion together for eternity. While we tend to define love by our nature, Scriptures define love by the nature of God in His triune relationship. So we are commanded to love because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been in a loving relationship again from all eternity. And brothers and sisters in Christ, are we not made in their image, in the image of God? So, Christian, should this not give you pause to consider why you're called to love one another? Should this not give you pause to consider why we are to be different than pagans in our relationship to one another? The other night I was curious, I've I've been studying a passage in the Old Testament and I was curious about it and I wanted to hear what a couple, you know, different people have said about it. I read some commentaries and I was trying to find some things that I had, because when I read this passage, there were some things that jumped out at me that I'd never seen before. And it was the translation and it's a different translation than we, than we typically read. And so I was, I was saying, is this a wrong translation or, or what's going on here? So I was listening to the sermon and it, it was about, you know, the centrality of love um, in, in a different aspect of the law. But, um, but the, the, the speaker who was talking about this said that he'd heard someone say, you know, when they were talking about infidelity and sexuality and, and all those things, that, you know, we need to let go of, of the ways of the Bible. You know, we've, we've progressed. We've gone farther. You know, it's okay now. We can relax those standards. And he said that the teacher that he was listening to at the time said, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. We should just let go of all those things. 
if you're a pagan. But if you follow the Lord, and that's, that's what he's driving at here. If you follow the Lord, if you walk in the light, you will love your brother and sister in Christ. Which you can add to the commandments of that, you know, uh, adultery. You can add the commandments to that of, of, of lying. You can add to the commandments of that of not stealing, of not being jealous, of not killing. Do you see? Why? Because I love you. Because I care for you. Because you're more important than I am. It should give us pause to think why we are different than pagans in relationship to one another. Think of it this way. It's an election year. You're going to have opportunity after opportunity to hear how pagans treat one another as they stand up to give their, their speeches. You're going to hear it. You may see it at the workplace as well. You may see it on campus. You may see it on your child's athletic team or in their academic club. But consider when such lack of love occurs on the Christian school board. When a lack of love occurs in community groups. Or maybe even the Lord forbid officer meetings. That should shock us. That should take us to our knees. That should tell us we're not walking in the light. We need to love one another. And beloved, we are commanded to love one another out of the old eternal love of our triune God. And so that brings us to the next question. That brings us to the next aspect here. Then, then what about the new of this old commandment? Well, let's consider our, in our second point the new emphasis of Christian love. The new emphasis of Christian love. Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8 points out three ways that we see the, this commandment is new. First, it is new and true in Jesus. Uh, second, it is new and true in us. And third, it is new and true in us because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So how is that exactly? What does that mean? Again, you read John sometimes, you're like, okay, help me understand this, Lord. What is he saying here? Well, the old commandment that goes back to Moses and even into eternity to the relationship of the Trinity took on a new character in the coming of Jesus Christ. Note again what Jesus said in John 13 as well as in John 15. Love one another. Notice what he says. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. In other words, keep on loving one another in the same way that I have loved you. And the key to this is found actually going back up to verse 6. If you look back up to verse 6 with me there, John says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The key is the one who says he abides. So John is pointing us to our union with Christ, our communion with Christ, our fellowship with Christ. One of the many consequences of being in union with Jesus Christ is that you will want to walk like Jesus walked. In the Spirit, you will want to be like Him. And so what John is appealing to here is, is he is appealing to our union with Christ, our abiding in Christ. So look at it this way. 
When Jesus was incarnated as the second person of the Trinity, He entered into this world. You could put it this way. Love has come. It's one of my favorite Rich Mullen songs. Love has come. Love has come. Just think of the many ways in which you see the love of God exemplified in Christ, manifested in His ministry of this world. What did He do? He loved and obeyed the Father. He actually, young people, He obeyed His earthly parents. And He loved them. He preached the kingdom of God so that people would come and flock to it. He healed the sick and the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He loved sinners, men and women alike. He loved children. He said, let the little children come to me. Children were thought of as, as doulosses at the time, as slaves. He even loved his ragamuffin disciples. Do you remember when they're going into the upper room? They're, as they're going into the upper room, as, you know, when Jesus said, Jesus said this, I'm going to Jerusalem. And that's where we're going. And all his disciples thought, he is going there to set up the kingdom. He's going to go set up the kingdom of God now. Do you know what they started doing? If you read it, it's amazing. They start kind of elbowing each other, jockeying for position. The sons of Zebedee, <laughs> their mother came up to Jesus and bowed down before him and said, Jesus, I have a favor to ask of you. Jesus, will you, will you uh, remember when you get into your earthly kingdom, when you're set up as, as the king, will you remember my two sons and let one sit on your right side and one your left side? I mean, they are jockeying for position. Who's going to be the second greatest, the third greatest in the kingdom of God when Jesus sets up His kingdom? When they walked into that room that night, into that upper room, that's still going on. The text is pretty clear there. They're still considering that. They're still working through that. They're still jockeying for position. They have no idea what's getting ready to happen. They have none. And so think of it this way. In the midst of that betrayal, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that Judas was going to betray Him. He knew that he was going to go to be arrested that night. And he knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be mocked. He knew he was going to be drugged to the cross the next day and put on that cross. And so even in the midst of all that, Jesus, it says, got up from the supper. He took off his coat. He picked up a cloth and he put it around him and he put water into a wash pan <laughs> and he began to wash the feet of the disciples and he dried them and it was a it was an example for them of the sacrificial love they were to have for one another i want you to think about that just for a moment the one who was in the beginning who spoke creation into being. The one who is all-powerful and almighty. He got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. But even more than that, <laughs> but even more than that, we see the love of God fully manifested. 
in His redemptive activity. All of Christ's life was put on display of God's loving character. But the cross of Christ demonstrates the love of God more clearly than any other act in human history. John is saying, this is what we have seen. This is what we have heard. This is what we've experienced. It's Jesus is the final perfect revelation of God's love. So as Dr. Daniel Akins writes, in Christ, the commandment to love one another is strengthened. It's deepened. It's expanded. And given more depth of meaning and understanding that has never been seen before until the coming of the incarnation of Christ. And now that same kind of supernatural love, that same sort of sacrificial love, is to be seen and experienced by those who are called by His name, who love Him and abide in Him. When Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. One of the things he means is that God has graciously recreated that Christ-like loving character in people who were united to Him in His redemptive act upon the cross. Is that not the same thing Jesus said? That evening, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. That you are in union with me. That you are in communion with me. If you love one another. This is the life, beloved, we are called to live. The life we are called to live. A life of sacrificial love. So, what is the ongoing significance then? The ongoing significance of Christian love. The first significance we face is actually a negative one in the text. Look at verses 9, 9 through 11. These verses distinguish the realm of light from the realm of darkness where hatred still rules. John is warning us to the seriousness of the realm of darkness. If you don't love your brother and sister, you're in darkness, he warns. The Heidelberg Catechism speaks to this when it again is talking about the Old Testament law. It's talking about murder. And it notes that when God forbids murder, God teaches us that He hates the root of murder. What is the root of murder? Jesus pointed it out, didn't He? It's envy, it's hatred, it's anger, it's vindictiveness. You see in the case laws in Leviticus and Numbers that, that kind of working its way out. It's more than just killing someone. And putting them to death and spilling their blood. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised form of murder. And what John tells us here is, is that when we hold on to envy and hatred and anger and vindictiveness, we're holding on to the darkness. It's a warning. But on the contrary, on the contrary, perfect love is revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and this act has dealt a death blow to darkness. Those in union with Jesus love their brothers and sisters. And thus they live in the light. 
You see this is not some, it's really not, it's not some mystical religious notion or act. It's, It's not that way. It's a tangible reality lived out by our union with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in daily life. Because that's where we love one another. So I ask you the question then for you to think about. How are we to love one another at Christ Community Church? How are we to do that? Well, you know, I saw it today. I see it almost every Sunday. And... um, I can't tell you how many people tell me this, whether it's people in the church or people who visit, whatever the case may be. Time and time and time again, I'll hear these words. This church is the most hospitable, friendly, loving church I've ever seen. Now, where do they see that? They sure don't see it with you sitting there staring at me. They see that in our greeting time and our times in the halls. You know, they, they see that after church when people gather together. And, and if you're a visitor here, typically you can't get away from someone speaking to you. We have a wonderful greeting time. But is that displaying the sacrificial love of Christ? Well, for some of you who are introverts, it might just very well be, you know. But I think Jesus would have us go a little deeper. I don't remember him saying the world will know him. By our friendly greeting time. The Lord calls us to be a reflection of His triune relationship displayed in Jesus. Where, listen, everyone is patient. Everyone is kind. They don't envy. And whereas people are not proud or rude or self-seeking. Where no one is easily angered, nor does anyone keep records of wrongs. We don't delight in evil, but we rejoice in truth where we protect and always trust and always hope and always persevere. Do you get it? This is what Paul says it actually looks like to love one another in 1 Corinthians 13. Do you get it? When we live out the words of Matthew 18 and we seek to reconcile as Jesus instructed, you know, instead of holding resentment, instead of gossip, and we go to them personally. And, and if that doesn't work out, we take someone with us. And if that doesn't work out still as they're there as an arbiter, we ask the church to help us. Try to help us to understand that. To help us, the goal there is reconciliation. Not, I am better than you. I have won this case. That's not what it's about at all. The Lord calls us to be the aroma of Jesus to one another when we live out the fruits of the Spirit. Very much like 1 Corinthians 13. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In this Spirit-empowered Jesus living, Dr. Aiken rightly points out, darkness is on the run and it cannot outrun the light. In fact, the darkness is already departing and the true light already shines. The light of the world has come. The King of light and love is already reigning. His name is Jesus. And the fullness and confirmation of that reign is just around the corner. May we live as though it is just around the next second. 
Look to Jesus. Look to the form of the dying Son of God on the cross. Look at how much He loves you. John tells us in John 13 that with all our sin, with all of our ugliness, with all of our mess, He loved us to the very end. And He went to the cross. May we love in Christ Jesus as He has loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word to us. It is humbling. It's humbling to sit and to think, even as I'm talking, thoughts go through my mind about how I can be so unloving. How I can be so uncaring. May Your Word penetrate all of our hearts. May You bring us to a turning away from ourselves, our old natures, our sin, and walking in the light of Christ. Oh, Father, continue to call us to this. We need You so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.